Welcome to USURF Spotlight, a new series by the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, where we discuss major topics and issues in the news and explore how those issues are impacting religious freedom around the globe. Here is USURF Director of Outreach and Policy, Dwight Bashir, leading this week's discussion. Welcome to USURF Spotlight. Today, we're gonna to talk about the status of religious freedom in Brunei, and in particular, a Sharia penal uh, code order that came into full effect in April of 2019, and how it got to that in the first place. But let me start by giving a little background on Brunei. Brunei is a small but developed Muslim majority country in Southeast Asia, with a population of just under 500,000 people. It has a nearly 80% Muslim population, just under 10% Christian, and about 8% Buddhist, and the rest largely traditional beliefs or other smaller faith groups. The country gained independence from the United Kingdom in 1984. And Brunei has never been featured as a standalone chapter in any of USERF's annual reports, either as a country of particular concern or on our uh, special watch list recommendation though it has been mentioned in our report primarily because of the emergence of the new Sharia penal code. We did just publish a fact sheet earlier this month on Brunei providing more background on that law. We're fortunate today to have with us USURF researcher Patrick Greenwald, who authored that fact sheet to discuss these issues in more detail. Welcome, Patrick. Thanks, Dwight. It's great to be here today. So tell me, Patrick, what does the general religious freedom landscape look like in Brunei today? Well, it's hard to say for sure. Brunei is not a free society. The Sultan Hassan al-Bokia has ruled the country since before independence with a tight grip on power. For example, he closed the national legislature by continuously renewing a state of emergency until about 2004 and has built the whole state around him. It's not hard to imagine, however, that religious freedom conditions are poor but really, really, we do not have the information to tell you exactly how poor. To bolster the Sultan's tight grip on power, the state heavily controls civil society and the flow of information and prosecutes those who even so much as appear to dissent. There's the case in 2017, for example, of a government official who posted criticism over the effect of halal standards on businesses on his private Facebook account. The government charged him with sedition and despite the official fleeing to Canada, they charged him in absentia to 18 months imprisonment at the end of 2019. As a result of harsh measures like these, we know very little. People keep a low profile. However, what we do know are the laws and regulations. So can you give us a, a sense of that legal framework and the various laws and regulations that specifically impact religious freedom in the country? Well, first off, for the 1959 constitution, Islam is declared the official religion while promising the freedom of other religions to practice. The stops short of explicitly guaranteeing freedom of religion and belief. However, Islam plays a central role in virtually all aspects of Bruneian government. The Sultan has wrapped the Bruneian identity around the state ideology known as Malayu Islam Baraja or MIB for short, which conflates Baraja, which means Sultanate, Islam and Malay ethnicity. The MIB state ideology is proactively enforced by the state. It's taught in schools, promoted through the state media, and is incorporated in the celebration of public holidays. 
While the Sultan has the power to create and dismiss any law, the regulation of religion has been institutionalized through three government organizations, the Ministry of Religious Affairs, the State Mufti Department, and the Islamic Religious Council. In, 1970, uh, in 1964, actually, the State Mufti issued a fatwa prohibiting Muslims from assisting non-Muslims in perpetuating their faith. And this can and has been invoked by the authorities to justify limiting the construction of new religious buildings, for non-Muslim faith communities and in allowing faith material to be imported. No independent Muslim organizations exist beyond these three state-run organizations, and none are allowed to operate within Brunei. And since only the Sunni Shafi school of Islam is recognized, other sects cannot legally operate. This includes Shia and Ahmadiyya Muslims. And then there's the Sharia Penal Code Order 2013, which was fully implemented in April last year. So that seems to be the real elephant in the room, this uh, penal code order. Um, and obviously, one of the main reasons we're speaking today about Brunei. Tell us, Patrick, what is uh, in this penal code order and how did it come to pass uh, in the first place? Yeah, the Syria penal code order 2013 is the end result of decades of pushing by the Sultan himself for a hardline interpretation of Sharia to be incorporated in the penal code. Since independence in 1984, Brunei has had a dual legal system, one sec secular and one religious based on Sharia. The latter is only enforceable or was only enforceable to Bruneian Muslims. This new penal code blurs the lines between those two and has some provisions that may be applicable to non-Muslims. That's out to make the country compliant with a very hardline religious Islamic code. However, it doesn't provide an opportunity for Muslims to opt out or into this code. And it even impinges on the rights of non-Muslims, for example, who can no longer publicly celebrate Christmas for fear it'll affect the faith of Muslims. The activities of all Muslims within Brunei, citizen or not, are heavily regulated. They cannot legally sell food or alcohol during Ramadan. They cannot convert outside of Islam, miss Friday prayers, to name a few. Also unrelated and unmarried Muslim men and women cannot be too near to someone of the other sex. This close proximity is illegal and punishable. So um, you, you've, you've identified some of the areas where people can get punished, but can you tell us a little bit more about what these punishments can entail, the length of punishments, the extent of these punishments that have been uh, passed through this uh, penal code? Yes, definitely. Um, and this is where it, it gets, some points uh, egregious. They range from corporal punishments to fines to imprisonment, and in some cases, amputations. Though we don't have any cases of amputations actually be enforced, it clearly stipulates under what conditions they will amputate someone for a crime. On the books also is uh, the death penalty, but the Sultan has declared a moratorium on capital punishment. And specific examples of punishments include fines of up to 20,000 Bruneian dollars, the equivalent of more than 14,000 US dollars, and up to five years imprisonment just for exposing a Muslim child to non-Muslim beliefs, which is why Christians don't publicly celebrate Christmas. Uh, for Muslim men and women in close proximity, they can be fined up to 4,000 Bruneian dollars, the equivalent of around 3,000 US dollars. Blasphemy also can get you up to 30 years imprisonment and a whipping of up to 40 strokes. Oh, so these are extremely harsh uh, punishments, but what you're saying is that there hasn't been implementation to date that you're aware of. Is that right? 
uh, it's hard to tell for sure. The as I said before, the government has a tight grip on uh, on the flow of information, uh, and with a country of under just five hundred thousand people, it's hard to have independent news or independent information coming out of Brunei. Um, but as a whole, it, it doesn't appear that the government has heavily enforced uh, this penal code yet. Okay, and so you know, looking back a bit, as the law was gaining momentum in uh, what appeared to be 2013, uh, mm-hmm. and then it eventually passed last year, what was the international response? Can you give a flavor of that? Because I know there was a lot of uh, you know, media attention that was generated. Right. And then uh, to what extent did that make a difference in, the, in, in it coming into uh, effect and maybe staving off some of the implementation of the law at this point? Right, and that's, that's a good question. So uh, as I said before, this penal code has been a long time in the making, a long time in the coming. Uh, initially, it was supposed to be released in certain phases. The first one was in 2013 or 2014. I mean, there were supposed to be a few more phases, but then suddenly it was completely dropped or completely incorporated last April in 2019. Um, and when it did, it, it there was a significant international outcry, um, especially from uh, different uh, countries in the West and s- different organizations and, and even celebrities. Um, there was an outcry and, and there was a shock and surprise that was kind of um, it's kind of noteworthy considering that none of this penal code was a sudden development. Um, however, the outcry uh, was centered around uh, a lot of the provisions which explicitly and implicitly target the LGBTI community homosexuality is a crime in the penal code that was initially punished by death. Uh, The global community, particularly celebrities in Western governments were quick to to condemn this. And the Sultan is a fabulously wealthy individual. There are huge energy reserves in the country. Um, And so the Sultan owns a few luxury hotels around the world. There were boycotts, there were calls to boycott these hotels. And, And as a response, Brunei was quick and the Sultan announced that there would be a moratorium on the death penalty. And then the international attention sort of dissipated, it went away. However, as I said, homosexuality is still a crime in the penal code. Individuals must adhere to a strict gender code and are unable to dress in clothes associated with the opposite sex. This implicitly targets the trans community. And the bulk of the penal code that did not have anything to do with the LGBTI community which heavily impinges on the religious freedom of Muslims and other faith communities remains as well. It is also important to note that regionally, the penal code and its implementation has drawn interest from certain sectors of Malaysia and Indonesia. The Malaysian Islamist party, PAS or PAS, reportedly sent delegates to learn about the implementation of stricter Sharia in Brunei. Actors in Aceh, Indonesia, the only province that implements Sharia has been moving in this direction of stricter impl- implementation as well. So it sounds like there's certainly a risk there of uh, the uh, implications, uh, not only in Brunei, but surrounding countries looking at this. Well, at this point, uh, the fact that there's the moratorium, the law is in place, what should the U.S. government and international community be doing now? You, we had this outcry across the board, governments and uh, advocates, activists, and others. But what would you say the response should be now as there's this kind of holding pattern 
regarding the law and can the U.S. and international community do anything uh, further at this point? Right, uh, that's a tough question. Well, we did see with the international outcry immediately in the aftermath of April 2019 when the penal code was fully enforced, we saw that Brunei was quick to respond to the international community, was quick to, to put a moratorium on the death penalty. So what I think number one has to happen is a continued and sustained international effort to, to highlight to Brunei that its penal code should be in uh, up to par with international standards of religious freedom. Um, and uh, as we see that Brunei does have the legal infrastructure and history of the systemic religious freedom violation, um, and, and we need to make it clear that the full implementation enforcement of this penal code would easily trigger the process for, for USERF uh, to highlight Brunei in its annual report. But to prevent that, the US government should work with its uh, international counterparts around the world, uh, with the United Nations, and with its counterparts in the Bruneian government to press for a penal code and a legal system that does not violate its citizens' basic human right to freedom of religion and belief. The US and Brunei cooperate on a number of fronts the relationship is there. Uh, as friends, the US government should use its network and it should also use uh, its network through the FORB Alliance um, to advocate for a more just and fair society in Brunei. Great, and when you say the FORB Alliance, it's that international uh, uh, freedom of religion or belief alliance that is a coalition of some 30 plus countries that now right meets regularly and so that could be a powerful uh, entity to speak out to to raise concerns well we'll have to leave it right here i want to thank you surf researcher patrick greenwald for his insights today you can find his fact sheet on brunei on our website at www.usurf.gov thanks for tuning in today and we'll see you next time on you surf spotlight